BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. Happy New Year. Happy National Championship Week. We are on the heels of one of the most memorable college football playoff semifinal games won by Michigan and Washington, setting up a somewhat surprising but epic national championship game, nonetheless, between Michigan and Washington next Monday. And to break down what just happened this past Monday on New Year's Day, and to forecast what's going to happen next Monday night, I'm your host, Reed Wall, joined, as always, by Cody Williams. Cody, Happy New Year. I'm sorry for your Texas loss, but how's it going, man? Uh, happy New Year, Reed. Uh, you know, Texas loss, at least it's not, at least I'm not a Texas fan. That, that would, if I had, you know, put my entire wagon on Texas, then I'd be feeling a whole lot worse. But, man, I'm, you know, as a football fan, as someone without really a dog in the fight, that's, I mean, that was one of the best semifinals, like pair of semifinals we've had in the college football playoff era this, to this point. Yeah, talking about the games in the lead up, obviously on this show, but also just, you know, around the holiday time, talking about it with like some family members and some other people that I came across, just talking about in the lead up to it, the difference in styles between the two games specifically. And I think we did a good job of hinting on that between like more of an old school physical battle between Michigan and Alabama. And then more like high explosive play, you know, talent on the outside, yeah. you know, deep shots in the Texas Washington game. And I think that played out that way too. But uh, like you said, two awesome games. And it's always nice though when games are billed as we don't really know what's going to happen and they're going to be really good and they're going to be cool to see. And for them to really deliver in the yeah. manner that they did both games going down to the very last play, both games back and forth. Uh, just so much to unpack and we're not going to spend too much time talking about what did happen. And we're going to talk a lot about what's going to happen in the national championship game. But Cody, uh, let's start with the Rose bowl. Michigan uh, avoids some uh, unfortunate uh, miscues to rally late win in overtime, 27 to 20 knockoff Alabama to go to the national championship. The Wolverines first time winning a college football playoff game after coming up short the prior two seasons. Uh, Cody, what were some of your takeaways from uh, the Wolverines' come-from-behind victory? 
I think my first major like overarching takeaway was the maturation of JJ McCarthy and 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 in turn Jim Harbaugh as well from last season because you know first passing play of the game JJ McCarthy almost throws a pick to Caleb Downs but he comes from out of bounds to catch it so it gets overturned and I was thinking when I saw that happen and then they go three and out anyway they don't do anything with the drive I was thinking oh no it's the TCU game all over again because they fell behind TCU and then kind of got their thing got everything going right and weren't able to come back. And I was like, oh, no, here we go again. But McCarthy and Harbaugh showed a lot of poise. Sharon Moore showed a lot of poise as a play caller. And it looked to me, I think, frankly, that Michigan was just the better team. And what surprised me the most was the better coach team in the Rose Bowl because because it, it felt like Michigan made three mistakes for every one mistake that Alabama made. Michigan could not get out of its own way. And if Michigan played mistake-free football, that game might be a blowout. But for them to overcome all of that – really is a testament to the maturation that I think this team has, you know, over undergone over the past couple of years. It definitely felt like a team coming to grips with its own success, like trying to get out of its own way. And uh, some people and myself included mentioned like getting over the hump, you know, Mm -hmm. Michigan comp short two years prior in the semifinals. And this is a team that, for uh, the first time really had a stranglehold on this game, especially from like the second quarter to the middle of the third, but just some, a few boneheaded mistakes, really Mm -hmm. uncharacteristic of a disciplined veteran Michigan team. It felt like they were kind of battling their own inner demons out there. And then they finally down the stretch, uh, really jumpstarted by that fourth and two play call. Blake Corum goes upfield, which was also met with a mistake. Uh, Roman Wilson gets a block in the back penalty. Right. Right. That jump started the drive, and Michigan kind of found its footing at the right time to secure a victory. But I agree with you 100%. I think Michigan was the better team. Uh, I think Alabama, I, I think they were outgunned, and I think that the coaches did a pretty good job in the second half of maybe going a little more max protection for Jalen Milrow, a little more side-to-side running instead of like kind of going through the gaps. I think mm-hmm. that did a good job to win the field position battle. But ultimately, the talent prevailed with Michigan, and the better team won. Um, but again, they didn't make it easy for themselves. Uh, no. For sure. uh, but no, I mean, seriously, it, it was a great game. A lot of high drama. I don't think it probably should have been that close. And no. before that last drive where it felt like Michigan, it was obviously like do or die time for them. Um, it, it felt like, at least I was thinking, that wow, they're really going to blow this one. Like, this is one that's really going to sting if you lose. Because there's one thing if you lose to Georgia two years ago, or maybe you just get outplayed thoroughly by TCU, uh, who brings, like, these explosive weapons. But, like, you're playing on your terms, this low-scoring physical battle, and you're really, really controlling the game. To lose that one really would have hurt. So, credit to Michigan for finding their stride at the right time and getting over the hump. Uh, before we get on to the Sugar Bowl, any other thoughts that you wanted to mention from the Rose Bowl? Yeah, I also, I mean, the you mentioned that, you know, Alabama really started max protecting for Jalen Milrow because, I mean, in the first half, the right side or the left side of Alabama's offensive line got their lunch ate every single play. Like, mm-hmm. Milrow had someone in his lap mm-hmm. where he couldn't even use his mobility. Like, his mobility was a non-factor, essentially, in the first half because they were in his lap before he could even think about taking off. And... While I do think they did a good job of adjusting to the max protect, I still felt like Tommy Reese's game plan, like Tommy Reese came out of here as a stock down, in in my opinion, after this game, just because, yes, you fixed the protection issues a little bit, but it still felt like the Alabama offense never 
never made things easy on themselves. Like in the first half when, you know, they were having trouble pre protecting Milrow, I thought, okay, maybe just, you know, quick screens to like Isaiah Bond or Jermaine Burton and some of these plays, like just plays to get the ball out quick and get the, you know, momentum a little bit on your side and get Michigan on its heels a little bit. And there was none of that. And I felt, I felt like even in the second half when they adjusted, we still didn't see enough of that to really get – have Alabama get any momentum and against the talented deep a defense as talented as Michigan you're I mean that's going to dig yourself a hole every single time even if like you're capitalizing on mistakes yeah I I think and this is part of what we we're talking about in the preview of these two games I, I thought Michigan was the better team and I just didn't see a ton of avenues for Alabama to move the ball I think I trusted Michigan a little bit more I don't know if the game necessarily played out exactly how I thought obviously with so many special teams blunders for Michigan that was kind of the story of the game but I I really wasn't sold with Alabama I I was to a certain extent in the lead up to the Georgia game I didn't really think they were going to beat Georgia I just thought that they lacked the consistent offensive threats but it's been the theme of the show anytime we talk about Alabama I, I would say they're not good at long sustaining drives they're not really good at stringing together these 10 play march down the fields. They're big play merchants. They mm -hmm. get Milrow uh, either in the pocket or he escapes from the pocket, extends plays and makes the plays downfield. He's a great downfield passer. He had no time. The defensive yeah. line was absolutely dis destructive for Michigan. It was the best unit on the field of any besides Alabama special teams unit. Um, I just, I, I wasn't that surprised with Alabama struggles on offense. And I know they got the side to side game going, but even then, they cashed in on – I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but they cashed in on a relatively short field. They were around their own, like, 40 when yeah. they scored to start the fourth quarter. That wasn't, like, a really long drive. And the other scoring drive they had in the second half was stunned when uh, Michigan – they, they like stopped a bubble screen to Burden and they sacked Milrow to make it, like, a 52-yarder for Reichard, which he obviously drilled because uh, – He's know, nails, dude. With Justin Tucker, but uh, I – Alabama really didn't sustain that many drives. To be honest, to be fair, Michigan didn't really either, but um, I, I was more confident that Michigan would be able to. I mean, that uh, first half drive, the scoring drive that really kind of eased concerns, that was the march I was talking about, and it happened again at the end of the game. Yeah, 100%. I, one question that was posed to me earlier today, and I kind of want to hear your thoughts on, do you think that if – you know, in an alternate universe where Georgia is in this game, Georgia somehow sneaks into the four seed. They value, the committee values Georgia. Do you think Georgia has a better chance of beating Michigan than Alabama did? Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. I I think Georgia, the way Michigan played that game, Georgia probably beats Michigan. Okay. Yeah, and I, I that was thought, my thought too. I, the I always thought there was a pretty big gap between Georgia and Alabama, and even Alabama winning uh, in the SEC title game didn't really like move me off of that. I wasn't like a. It wasn't like a. Oh, I'm I'm wrong. Yeah. It was just a. Alabama wins that game and you know they had a few breaks along the way yeah 100 percent. like that was my takeaway with all with how mistake-laden Michigan's game was in the Rose Bowl Kirby Smart Carson Beck and the explosiveness of that Georgia offense because I think to beat to beat Michigan it takes an explosive and well-balanced offense and obviously like we've been talking about all season and particularly previewing that game Alabama doesn't have that Georgia does and Georgia would be able to take advantage of those short fields, those mistakes much more routinely than Alabama was. Absolutely. And before we move on to the Sugar Bowl, let me tell you about DraftKings' new user bonus. DraftKings is offering a fantastic sign-up bonus for new users. You can place a $5 first bet on anything to instantly claim $150 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay 
every single day when you opt in. The best part about this is you will receive both rewards even if your first bet loses. You literally just sign up to qualify for these bonuses. All you have to do is join DraftKings, and when you do, sign up with our code STB. Stack in the box. Again, use our code STB. STB not only gets you these great bonuses, but it also directly supports our podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use the code quote STB to maximize your first bet and parlays. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 or older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check out the episode description description below for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. Again, use the promo code STB with our proud sponsor, DraftKings. Sugar Bowl. Mm. Washington hangs on to beat Texas 37-31. Before we talk about the full game, I'd like to talk about the end of the game. Uh, we could go yes. back in time because I think as the end of the game was happening, I had already decided if Texas were to score, it would be probably the single biggest meltdown I have ever seen in my entire mm-hmm. life, given the stakes of the game. For those that need a little bit of catching up, Washington had Texas on the ropes. They get into the red zone with about three minutes left. Texas begins to use their timeouts, as teams typically do. They had three timeouts. They were going to try and maximize as much time left. Texas used the timeout on Washington's second down run. It's like third and eight now. At the Texas, like 17, Washington leading by six. Washington opts to throw. Of course, play breaks down. They throw the ball away, so the clock stops. So Texas is able to maintain two timeouts uh, with about three minutes left. Washington makes the kick, goes up nine. Texas rolls down the field and settles for three, so it's a six-point game. Then Washington gets the ball back and goes three and out again, but Texas saves even more time here because Washington's running back, Dylan Johnson, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, he gets what seems to be seriously hurt. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he can't yeah. get up and run off the field. So Washington needs to burn their time out. So Texas has about 45 seconds to go down the field after a penalty by Washington. Texas gets to inside the red zone uh, and fails to score on four opportunities uh, from there. So Washington escapes 37-31. I think they were the better team. Mm-hmm. I think it was a pretty poor effort from Texas, uh, especially game plan-wise. I think Texas really kind of left a few things out there. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Cody. But I think – I'm not going to say Washington's a better team or anything like that, but it felt like Texas dug themselves a little bit of a hole too early and let Washington pick up ahead of steam that they weren't going to be able to slow down. And that was ultimately the difference in the game was – kind of the early start where Texas, in my opinion, too many empty possessions to uh, win a game of that magnitude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I Early in the game, I thought that one thing I had said, you know, previewing the contest was I thought that having a month to prepare would really help the Texas run game without Jonathan Brooks, like find their footing with Jaden Blue and um, C.J. Baxter. And I thought early in the game we saw that. They were having, you know, pretty decent success running the football. But then – they weren't able to uh, finish drives. And then Washington was able to, you know, convert pretty often early in the first half. And in doing so, Texas fell behind a little bit and they had to kind of abandon the running game, I thought, a little too much. And I thought that really affected their game plan, especially because Washington, which is, it, I will admit fully, is not something that I expected to say coming out of this game. Braylon Trice absolutely wrecked this game. I, I've touted Texas's offensive line all season. And Braylon Trice had seven pressures in this game. He was in the backfield constantly harassing 
Quinn Ewers and getting him off platform, off schedule in his throws. And the Texas passing game really suffered because of it. It was, I would still venture to guess that, like, you know, if this, if these two teams played 10 times on neutral site, I'm still taking Texas the majority of the time. But Washington on, you know, on Monday night, they played the better game. They were the better team on Monday night. Yeah. I, I think abandoning the, I think Sharp, if he's rewatching this game, is probably like we, we got away from the run too much. And I know. It didn't help that there were two fumbles by running backs in this one. Obviously, the loss of Jonathan Brooks playing a role. But you look at some of the numbers for Texas run game. It felt like they were getting five, six yards down the field before even being touched by a Washington defender. Those were the kind of holes that were being opened up for the likes of uh, C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue. Texas had an EPA per rush of 0.44. That would be 96th percentile compared to games Mm -hmm. last season. So, Washington, which we mentioned in the preview, is a porous rush defense. They are bottom 15 in terms of EPA per rush allowed, rushing success rate allowed, defensive line yards. It was there. It was there for Texas. They moved up and down the field. It felt like they were a little too eager to get the passing game going, and Quinn Ewers did not play his best, in my opinion. No. 24 or 43, 318 yards. A lot of that honestly came on the final two drives, so – um, I don't have those numbers, but like it, it, the numbers look better than what it actually was. I thought Quinn Ewers played a pretty mediocre game, in my opinion. Was not a difference maker whatsoever. Uh, I think, to me, Sarkeesian's probably sitting there like, we probably could have won this game. We, we probably wasted oh, yeah. too, too many possessions here. That being said, on the other side, tech, uh, Washington deserves a ton of credit for taking advantage of a weak Texas secondary. I mentioned in our preview uh, why I like the over in the game and why I thought Washington was ultimately going to win was because I thought Texas secondary was a big issue. And Michael Penix played one of the best games I've watched. Oh, yeah. an, ab- an absolute masterclass. Like, it really was. Dots everywhere. It was just like p- picking a spot and just throwing the ball like on a dime. Uh, it was unbelievable. 29 of 38, 430 yards and two mm-hmm. touchdowns. Washington averaged over 11 yards per drop back. Uh, mm-hmm. they were just chucking the ball down the field and taking full advantage of a Texas secondary. Uh, I, I think Washington deserves a ton of credit. Uh, Cody, any other thoughts on this game? Uh, is this um, something that you think can be replicated in the national championship game? Potentially, because the one thing that really stood out to me with Penix, and we've seen it at times this year, but not consistently, but – I talked about Braylon Trice and Quinn Ewers really struggling. I felt like, you know, under duress a little bit. I think that Penix handled pressure better than I've seen a college quarterback do in the entire season, especially one who's not really particularly mobile. Like his ability to navigate the pocket, reset, and then make a strong throw consistently in this game, because Texas was able to get some pressure against this, you know, Joe Moore winning, Joe Moore award winning offensive line for Washington. And it didn't matter because Penix would just adjust, reset, and make a strong throw. And I mean, to me, that's what this game came down to. The other thing I do want to bring up, I'm going to tee you up a little bit. One thing that we have been or you have been talking about all season is Texas's red zone, red zone inefficiency. And when they got into the red zone on that final drive, I was like, well, are they going to overcome it? Are they going to, you know, are they going to crumble? And they obviously crumbled. And it got me thinking, I, we, you know, we have the utmost respect for Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller, as a schematic mind. But I wonder if part of it is, Sarkeesian's play calling in the red zone is like his next stage of development to take the next step for Texas and for him to take the next step as a head coach. Because frankly, that play calling in the red zone on those final four plays was wholly uninspired. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. It was also because it's not that Texas went that I'm talking now the drive prior to the final one. Yeah. Texas down nine, got down the field very quickly. And it's not that they like did like the on first down, take a quick field goal to maximize how much time they'll have later. Mm-hmm. Texas ran a real red zone drive to try and score a touchdown. They it's not like they were like, okay, we have to kick a field goal and score a touchdown. We're just gonna take the field goal first and get the touchdown later. No, they actually on fourth down kicked a chip shot field goal. So they yep. actually failed twice to score a touchdown when they needed it at least once. So I do think that I was concerned about it. I thought it was one of those edges that Washington could possibly maximize. I mean, Washington, they weren't a good red zone defense to begin with, and they yeah. showed up when they, they buckled down when it was uh, most necessary. So, I, uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice uh, to kind of nail a, a key part of the game like that, uh, something that concerned me, and it ended up playing a huge role. Uh, so that was, that, that was nice. Um, I do want to, though – Talk some national championship, though, because I, I think uh, while Texas, obviously, like we could talk about how they let that one go in Alabama, they had some fundamental flaws. I think now we're hungry to talk about this one. Michigan laying four and a half, total of 55 and a half in the national championship game. This game will be Monday night in Houston, Texas. I mean, there's a bunch of ways to go in this one. Uh, Cody, I will let you start off this breakdown. What are some of your th- what are some of the key thoughts you have heading into this game that uh, you want to discuss? So I'm going to start with the Michigan offense. And like we've already mentioned in this show and mentioned basically all season, Washington's run defense is extremely porous and it can be taken advantage of. Texas was, and they got away from it. Uh, Sharon Moore, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, they're not going to get away from it. They are going to pound the rock with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Honestly, if, if they continue having success at the level that Texas was early in this game, early in the Sugar Bowl, that that uh, against Washington's defense, if Michigan is able to attain that level of success, I could see a game similar to what we saw at the end of the regular season with JJ McCarthy, where he's throwing you know sub fifteen pass attempts in this game, where they're just content breaking off seven yards per rush and not worrying about it and controlling the game in that way. But I also think that it lends itself to potentially explosive plays in the run game. We've seen Corum and Edwards in games in years past and also at times this year break break off some explosive runs and really break the game open and get the scoring going quickly. And I think that's going to be the tone setter, but I also think that it's something that while I think that Michigan's coaching staff is more than willing to rely heavily and almost solely on that game plan, I do think that Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr., I think that their game plan is going to be to try and 
ramp up the pressure to try and force Michigan off of their spot. Yeah, I I think watching the Texas game made me a little nervous for Washington in this one. Yeah. I because there's arguably no more disciplined team than Michigan. Mm-hmm. They are going to do what they do and they are going to do it better than any other team in the country. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think there's a world where if this team gets ahead, like JJ McCarthy might not throw a pass in like the second half. It gives me a lot of Penn State vibes where yes. Michigan is going to try and play ball control. They're going to try and keep the other team on the sideline and go up and down the field. Now Penn State had a top five defense. Washington doesn't have that. The secondary's got a much better, but I mentioned it before. 96 percentile epa per rush for texas they were going up and down the field they averaged north of seven yards per carry in that game Mm -hmm. now i i I will say i think michigan they while blake quorum and donovan edwards were explosive they are not the same guys they were last year that's true this team this team isn't super explosive run base they want to go like up and they're almost like a service academy and how they attack on offense. Now, some of that is due to being ahead and being uh, so far superior to most of their opponents that they just keep it so vanilla, it doesn't even matter. But Michigan is 71st in EPA per rush this season, and like only around the national average in the 50s in terms of yards per carry. They're not ripping off like 9, 10 yards. It's the 5, 6-yard runs that build up over time. Michigan plays at the third slowest pace in the country. I think Michigan is going to say, hey, Blake, one, he doesn't have the getaway speed anymore. But I think he's, they're going to say, hey, we want seven-minute drives. We want eight-minute – we want Penix on the sideline. We are not going to try and have this game get into the 30s. We want to win in the mid-20s and keep Washington off the field as much as possible, limit their possessions. So I think Michigan against this Washington defensive line is going to try and play man ball, soften them up, take timely deep shots when necessary with the play action. But I think Michigan, I think they're going to be able to get what they want in this game on offense. Now, what happens if they fall behind like Texas did? It's a fair point. Uh, I think will J.J. McCarthy respond to being put into a pass-first script? Uh, it's, It's a fair question to have, and I think it's probably the path to success for Washington is make this team have to take to the air. Washington secondary is definitely the stronger part of the uh, defense with Muhammad uh, who got hurt at the end of the game, but he played. So uh, on the final snap, so he should be good to go. I'm most curious, like you said, what happens if JJ McCarthy needs to throw the ball 35 to 40 times and, you know, the Wolverines have to get into the thirties. Yeah. So when I was digging into the PFF grading and numbers and coverage numbers from the Texas game, One thing that stood out to me uh, with Washington's defense, and I think it plays into the hands of Michigan a little bit in this game, if they do have to go to a pass script, which, again, I don't think is ideally what they want to do, but uh, Texas was able to take advantage of the middle of the field a little bit. The uh, Washington linebackers and the Washington safeties actually struggled a little bit in coverage against Texas. And when you look at Roman Wilson, when you look at uh, Loveland, the tight end, and Barner, the other tight end for Michigan – they're very effective in those intermediate middle parts of the field. And so, like, I think that it may not be an explosive passing offense if they get into a pass script, but I think there is something to be had there for the Michigan passing offense, even if even if they are forced to throw more than they want to. I completely agree. I 
I do think Michigan is content, though. Like, oh, absolutely. I I think if they have to throw, it will be there. I think they're definitely not as confident, but like, I I think there are a ton of questions on both sides. What I am most confident though is that Michigan will have success on the ground. I don't yeah. see I don't see Washington, who has faced some pretty strong rush offenses, including mm-hmm. Texas in the uh, Sugar Bowl. Uh, they faced Oregon State, who had a high EPA per rush grade. Uh, they faced Oregon, who was able to move the ball on them. Like, I don't see a world where Washington is shutting down Michigan's offense. I really don't. Um, so I, I do think Michigan's offense should be able to find plenty of success, especially in its preferred state. On the other side, look, I'm not going to say this Washington defense, this Washington offense is going to get shut down by Michigan, but I will say this is arguably the best defense in the country. This is mm-hmm. a far tougher test than any sort of defense Washington has seen in the Pac-12 this season. I tried to look for a comparison, like I guess Oregon, but Michigan is number two in pass rush grade per PFF. Oregon's 45th. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that this is like a more a more award-winning offensive line for Washington, but this is a different test. Like this is, it is. this is a really, this is one of the best defense in the country. I know that, um, you know, there, there's something to be said for, well, Ohio State was able to kind of get it going in the passing game, in the game with Marvin Harrison Jr. The past two seasons, MH, MHJ had over 100 yards receiving, and Ohio State was able to put up some points. That's fair. I just uh, – I'm a little concerned that Washington is going to be really behind the sticks here and it's going to be obvious passing situations, and Michigan's going to be able to win without sending extra pressure. They could drop guys in coverage, and it's going to be third and 10, and one of those, you know, again, can you sustain drives against Michigan? Michigan over the course of the season has allowed less than one point per drive. Mm -hmm. Like, this team doesn't allow points. This team doesn't allow explosive plays. So I just wonder what happens if Washington – isn't able to get ahead of schedule and able to hit those deep shots because Michigan secondary is far better than Texas is, in my opinion. It's definitely more uh, veteran-laden. So uh, one more point, though, because I kind of glossed over it, but the run game, Dylan Johnson left with a leg injury that he's been battling for going on months now. Yeah. That card off the field. Offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb said it wasn't that serious. X-rays were negative, and he's going to play on Monday. Look. I'm not sure he's going to play. I, I'm no. just saying, like, if he plays, that's great. I am proceeding that he's going to be, at the very least, limited. And yeah. if he's even playing, they did nothing on the ground, Washington, in the Sugar Bowl. Texas, who has a staff defensive line as well, absolutely shut it down. This was all on Penix's arm. In that game, Washington averaged only 3.29 yards per carry. Yeah. I believe that Washington's run game is going to be non-existent in this game as well. And I think, again, it's going to fall on Michael Penix's shoulders. Look, can he have another big game? Absolutely. I'm just a little concerned that he will. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I'm, I tend to agree with every point you're making. However, if I have any points of trepidation about Michigan's defense, they have not faced an offense that has the depth of weapons that Washington does. They have not faced an offense. I mean, Washington, to me, is by far the best offense that they have seen this entire season. And we talk about their high coverage grade. Outside of Ohio State, 
who have they played that has a set of wide receivers that is anywhere markedly close to what Washington can offer with three probably top 100 picks at wide receiver in this upcoming NFL draft. Rema Dunze might be as good, if not better, than Marvin Harrison Jr. So they have that, like, alpha stud. But Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk, they are, you know, they are 2A and 2B. Like, they are absolute studs. And I do wonder if Michigan's coverage, you know, it is a veteran secondary, but this is a different animal that they're going to be facing in this game on a fast track in a dome in Houston at Energy Stadium. So if I am going to make the case for Washington, which I'm not sure I'm going to, but I do think Washington will have some offensive success, especially after what I mentioned earlier with Penix's ability to handle and navigate pressure within the pocket, reset quickly, and then get the ball out quickly. Not only do I think that the receivers are going to be open if he can stay clean and get the throws off, but I also think that DeBoer is a and DeBoer and Grubb for that matter are smart enough offensive minds that they're not necessarily going to be trying to hit, you know, they're not going to be big play merchants necessarily for this entire game. I think they're smart enough. They're going to get at least one or two guys open or out of their breaks early. So they're open for if pressure gets there, Penix can get the ball out quickly. So I do think Washington is going to be able to move the ball some in this game because I am a little bit dubious of if Michigan secondary is as good as the metrics say based on level of competition. It's fair. Uh, Jack Westover, the tight end, I think he could have a you know, oh, yeah. before we talk player props. I, I, he's a guy I've uh, circled as a like potential target, especially if we think Michigan's able to get some pressure, you know, work underneath the tight end Westover. I think he had like 50 something yards oh, yeah. uh, in the Sugar Bowl here. I have right. Yeah. Westover six catches, 59 yards on eight targets. So yeah, so he was a big factor too. Yeah. So I, I could see if they have to work underneath, but again, I'm just a little concerned about if you're not going to get down the field in two minutes and six, plays, Is it a matter of time before, Washington falls behind the sticks and Michigan gets some pressure and all of a sudden it's third and long. And then that's how they get off the field. Uh, that's just, it's something I'm a little concerned about because uh, Washington for as much as the success that they had in that game, and they put up 37 points against Texas, a lot of settling for field goals there, a lot of mm-hmm. fourth. And uh, I know they went for it once in the red zone and they didn't get it. I, I just, I'm a little concerned that, Field goals aren't going to win you this one when you're going up against a potent offense like Michigan that could kind of keep you on the sidelines and really stay ahead of schedule and really um, convert from in close. Washington, it seemed like in that game against Texas, it kind of got a little shaky inside the red zone. No, 100%. I do think that with everything we're saying about this game, and I guess this is kind of like an overarching point I want to make, but I don't see a world where this game is a blowout. It may be like, relatively one-sided but i don't think it's going to be 65 to 7 obviously not 65 to 7 but like anything that's like an absolute blowout which i think has it in the we'll put it in the conversation of the greatest of the best four team college football playoff that we'll have seen because normally out of the three games the two semifinals and national championship championship game we always have gotten like one dud there's been one dud like last year it was the national championship game year before that it was alabama cincinnati I don't think this game is going to be a blowout. Even if Michigan dominates, you know, the way that we – it seems like you're leaning that they're going to dominate. I still don't think Michigan is the type of team that's going to blow out a team like 41-14 to 14 or anything like that. I don't think they have that in them necessarily. It's a fair point. I, I'm definitely leaning with the Michigan side, but it's not like a strong conviction level on that. I just think that there's more avenues to them having success on both sides of the ball. Uh, I just and then one last point before we kind of talk best bets and player props and everything. So 
watching the Sugar Bowl, Texas had a lot of backbreaking penalties, it felt like. like mm-hmm. It felt like Texas was putting itself in danger at all times. Ten penalties for a team that's usually around the national average in terms of penalty yards per game. Washington, five flags for 39 yards. And this is a Washington – and that includes that egregious fair catch interference. So really only four flags uh, yeah. over like the majority of the game. Do you know that Washington has been penalized yardage-wise the second most per game this entire season in the entire country? I did not. Only New Mexico gets more – is attacked for more penalty yards per game. Would you like to know where Michigan ranks? I would assume it's in the top five because Jim Harbaugh wouldn't have it any other way. Second. Second fewest penalty yards per game. So you have the second most versus the second fewest. In a game that might be really tight and nervy, and there are a lot of questions for both sides in terms of like how these two teams kind of match up against one of it, one another, I feel like that could play a huge role in this one. Oh, especially, yeah. especially though, with a Michigan defense that has a ferocious pass rush. Mm-hmm. Like, could you see maybe a, a few holding penalties on the Washington side? It almost and look, maybe I'm like kind of pulling at straws here, but I do feel like after a really clean game for a team that over the balance of the season has proven to be pretty undisciplined, I feel like you're due to get some regression back. And the same could be said for Michigan. All those special teams blunders, in the regular season, Michigan was 14th in PFF special teams grade. So, like, Mm -hmm. a normally elite Michigan special teams. Like, you think they're going to play that bad again? I mean, it's possible. It's definitely possible. But, like, I feel like the law of averages seems to – it will balance itself out over – And, look, again, it's random, and these are a lot of things that I'm, like, saying. But, like, don't be surprised if Washington finds themselves – pick it up like stupid penalties left and right and like unnecessary holdings and stuff like that. And for Michigan, their special teams works out and their punter punts incredibly better because he was honestly incredibly poor given what yeah. he's been in the entire season. So those are two things that I think are being not talked about as much that might rear its head as the game goes on next Monday night. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up special teams as my final point because – and I, Michigan, yes, over the se- over the course of the season, obviously a great special teams team. But so is Washington actually grades out better in PFF. They're 12th in special teams grade this season. Yeah. And so if it doesn't, re- if it doesn't, you know, positively regress to the mean for Michigan on special teams and they do make those special teams mistakes, Washington is going to have the advantage in there. And that could be a key area if, you know, if Michigan doesn't clean it up, if it's, you know, their special teams is something that slips through the cracks in these high pressure, high leverage situations, then perhaps that's an area where Washington can find some field position breaks, some ways to break what Michigan wants to do to force, force some mistakes and garner some extra possessions. So that special teams is actually, I think, a really, really key thing to if Michigan doesn't clean up, it's something that could really even the playing field in this game. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's talk some best bets here. Or I guess let's do – we'll do player props first, and then we'll give, like, final predictions and everything. Um, player props are starting to trickle out uh, across the domestic sports books. Cody, I know you have our proud sponsor, DraftKings. Uh, yeah. You have them up. So maybe I'll lean on you to kind of shout out the ones I was eyeing. Um, I'll lead us off. I have okay. two really – I have three kind of at the top of my mind. Not necessarily plays, but uh, just – my thoughts on how this game could play out first is JJ McCarthy over rushing yards. Okay. It was one that hit in the Rose bowl. 
it was around 17 and a half, 18 and a half. He got to around 20. Uh, didn't run much, but I think given the likely game script here, and I believe Washington's inability to stop the run, I think you could see JJ who looked fully healthy after being banged up at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, getting into the mid twenties is fairly reasonable. Again, he only had, I think it was like only three runs in the Bama game. Yeah. Playing a much softer defensive line against the run. I think that could set up really nicely for him to take a few off, uh, so I, I like McCarthy over rushing yards in like that lowish 20 range. Yeah, it's 21 and a half on DraftKings. So that's right in yeah. that range that you're talking about. So I I also had that one circled. I think that his legs are going to be important in this game. And more importantly, like you said, he looked healthy. That was a yeah. big factor. I was wondering, you know, how if there are going to be any, any effects. I'm going to stay on the Michigan side for mine. And this is a high value prop. But I think with the run heavy script that you and I are both expecting from Michigan, Donovan Edwards over basically to score a touchdown over 0.5 TDs is plus 225 at DraftKings. And if we're going to see this rush heavy attack, we are going to see the load split. Yes, Blake Corum is going to get the lion's share of the carries, but he is going to have to get spelled. Blake Corum can't carry the ball, you know, eight times in a row. He's going to get tired and they're going to spell him for Donovan Edwards. So if they drive the ball and they get in the red zone, Blake Corum's tired. I think plus 225 is good value for someone who I think is going to get touches in that red zone situation. So I actually, I, I agree Edwards who he's kind of, in my opinion, been really underwhelming this season after being like a jitterbug yeah. running back last year. He was lights out. He really, in my opinion, has underwhelmed. I was looking a little bit different. I don't hate the idea at all. My look was actually at his receiving yards prop. Ooh, okay. uh, I mean, listen, it's been hit or miss in terms of his usage but you're talking a handful of times this season. He has 34 targets on the year, and a lot of them have been condensed to the same game. Uh, you're talking Iowa had four targets against Ohio State. He had two targets going back. And then he went through Maryland, Penn State without any targets. And then in the beginning of Big Ten play, three targets against Purdue, three against Michigan State, two against Indiana, four against Minnesota. It should be in the low teens mm-hmm. range. If it's and a half. Ten and a half? Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half. I just think if Michigan's going to play this super vanilla script, if we think Michigan's going to play from ahead, what about like one slip screen to Edwards? Because he's more of the pass catching back anyway than Corum. I just wonder if Edwards uh, could maybe rip one off and that's how they look to get him going. Maybe on like a swing pass or a screen pass. Again, 15 and a half, you need pretty much one nice re- nice reception yep. and a second one to get you over so i like donovan edwards uh receiving yards i don't hate the touchdown look though no i yeah i like that as well i think edwards is a, a real key in this game who people are the prop market is it seems to me is overlooking a little bit because quorum is obviously going to see the heavier workload in this yeah. game but i think he is going to have usage with the game script that we're seeing uh, i'll move on to the uh washington side of things and you actually mentioned it. Jack Westover, over 24 and a half receiving yards. Yeah, I like that, that total one. is way too low. That's, I mean, that's, he is going to play a factor, especially with the pressure that Michigan is going to put on there. And with my respect for DeBoer and Grubb as offensive minds, they are going to get guys in space in the short and intermediate area, areas so Penix can get the ball out quickly. And when they did that against Texas, Westover was wide the frick open every yeah. single time. And so 24 and a half with the way, if it's anything similar to what he did against Texas, he's there with three receptions. Yeah, 100%. I, I like that one quite a bit. So that was going to be uh, my other one. One other one I want to ask you, uh, Penix rushing yards. 
Mm. Is that available? Yeah, let me look it up. I do not have it written down, but I believe it is available. No, it's not actually available on DraftKings. Is it on FanDuel? Yeah, because I was was curious what that number was going to be because he's not typically a runner, but he did against Texas. Again, though, sacks count against you in college, not in the NFL. So I, I was just curious what that number was going to be. Uh, typically, uh, this is obviously because player props are more prominent in the NFL, but like playoff games with quarterback rush yards is like typically uh, a nice one to play just because like quarterbacks are more inclined to keep the ball, take off themselves, kind of take what the defense is giving you. So uh, we saw Penix. If he had a rush yard prop last week against Texas, he absolutely hit it. That I'm for sure of. Um, so it was just one I was curious about, but Cody, any other player props you want to get to before we move on to our final predictions? Yeah, actually fittingly, I'm going to stay with Penix in the pass yards. I don't feel this one as strongly as I do the other three that I've mentioned, but I do think that I lean to his over 291 and a half passing yards, because I think it's going to be, I think any way that this game script plays out, we're still going to see Penix put up good passing yards numbers, even if Michigan puts Washington in an extremely negative game script where they're playing from behind and having to chuck it all over. I think we could see, you know, in the third and fourth quarter when Michigan has a big lead, Penix does basically what Quinn Ewers did in the Sugar Bowl where he pads his stats at the end of the game. And 291 and a half with how heavily Washington is going to have to throw the ball to have success in this game, I think that's a low total, especially for a player who we've seen pretty when he is healthy, which he seemed to be health, pretty dang healthy in the Texas game, uh, especially when healthy, routinely get over 300 yards. Yeah, I like it. All right. Best bets, final picks. Uh, really quick before we get to that, bowl picks. I went 23 and 18. I think I finished on like a heater. You absolutely uh, did. You were yeah. hot on New Year's Day, dude. Yeah, that I ended ended strong. It was a rough start for sure. And then Cody, 18, 22, and one for you. So uh, you win the regular season. I get you in bowl games. Uh, I don't have the final tally in front of me, but uh, we got some work to do for next year for sure. So we got to uh, oh, pick it up a little bit. But final best bets, final prediction. I want your best bet. I want a prediction uh, on who wins and a final score just for funsies. Okay, so my best bet is the over 55 and a half. I've kind of hinted at it. I think Washington is able to find success offensively. More importantly, I think they are able to combat what Michigan wants to do in this game. Like you said, Michigan wants to have those six, seven, eight-minute drives, and I think they are going to be able to have those. But I also think, despite what we've seen from Corman Edwards this year, like you said, they have regressed from being as explosive as they were a year ago. I still think they find some explosive plays in the run game. It might even be McCarthy breaking off a big run in the run game. Like I just think that Michigan finds some explosive plays with how porous Washington's run defense is and with how reliant Michigan is going to be on that side of the ball. But I think with what I've said about DeBoer and Grubb targeting the middle of the field and getting Penix to get the ball out quickly and the way Penix handled pressure in the Sugar Bowl, I think that Washington does its part to get to get on the board enough to get us to the over 55 and a half, especially on a fast track at NRG Stadium where in typically in national championship games in recent years, we have seen the over or high point totals there. And with a lower, lower ish total, especially for a game that Washington's involved in, I like the over. Who wins? So winning, this is a, this is a head and a heart situation because my head and everything I'm looking at tells me that Michigan's going to win. My heart says, how in the world can you bet against this Washington team? But I'm going to go Michigan 34, Washington 27. High scoring. Uh, yeah. 
we are looking at this a little bit differently because I like the under uh, 55 and a half. I think while I respect Washington's offense quite a bit, I just think there's going to be so such few possession, possessions due to both teams wanting to keep the opposing offense off the field. I don't think either offense is really going to be able to hit explosive plays in this one. I think it's going to be, again, who could sustain long time consuming drives and with limited possessions means limited points. So I, I went under here. I, I it's tough. And like, I might look really stupid, but I think Michigan wins this one, like 27, 17. Okay. I, I think, I think that Washington finds itself a little overwhelmed with the defensive line of Michigan. They're not able to establish the run and get into a favorable down and distance. And the deep ball isn't there. And all of a sudden it becomes, third and 10, third and nine, or a hold, and it's like third and 17. And yeah. Washington's going to have to punt the ball away. And then Michigan could go on these marches where six, seven minutes come off the clock. Um, Washington might be able to get a few, but I just think Michigan's able to dictate this game from a time perspective, but and also uh, by running their offense and keeping the ball on the ground. So I, I like Michigan in this game. When it comes to like the spread, like I'm good. I, I, I'm oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I should have added looking, that. I'm not looking to like lay it with Michigan or something like that because I do, like you mentioned earlier, like Washington can maybe get like that late score and, you know, go from down 10 to down three. But I do ultimately think I think Michigan and Cody, I've been on the show for months now saying I think Michigan's the best team. And I, I, I do think there's something to be said that they kind of got over the hump against Alabama and that might have been kind of getting the, the monkey off their back. And this might be this is a much more favorable matchup for them, in my opinion, than against Alabama, where, yes, Washington has the high-octane passing attack, but they don't have the studs that Bama does, and they don't have the size and physicality that Bama does. So I think there's a chance that Michigan's able to kind of dictate this team and suffocate them. So I'll go 27-17 Wolverines. I like it. I mean, I, I'm i not – to like – in terms of my actual plays that I'm making, you made me, you know, pick a side, pick a final score. I'm not touching the side. Uh, I could go either way. And doubting Washington, if you've doubted Washington at all this season, it's not been profitable. Yeah. And so, like, doubting them again, I'm not going to be fooled to get into that, even though I think that you're right. I think the matchup does favor Michigan. But, I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't full-throatedly go after a side on this, in this game. Yeah, and that will do it. So we will see. There won't be any recap episode, but make sure you are staying tuned in to the Stack in the Box channel. There will be NFL playoff coverage when it's that time of year. It's the draft combine. It's the NFL draft. Me and Cody will be back in some form or fashion with uh, Sterling and me and the NFL guys talking, giving our college football expertise for those that have listened throughout the entire season and supported the show. Thank you. You guys absolutely uh, make it very easy to do it for us. We really appreciate you guys. The numbers have been going up all season long, and we really appreciate all the support we've been getting throughout the show. Cody, great co-host, great co-pilot. Wouldn't want to do it with anybody else, so I appreciate you sitting through, uh, listening to me rant all the time, but it's been a lot of fun doing it. Hey, man, wouldn't have it. Wouldn't rather have anyone else at the controls guiding me along than you, man. It's been, it's been a blast. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the national championship game. Good luck with all the bets. We will see you sometime in the future who knows when but seriously enjoy the game and enjoy the college football offseason we'll talk to you soon yeah we'll see you